Hello, everyone. It is Hello. Corinne and Sabrina from Two Girls, One Ghost. Obviously, you clicked on the right podcast. We just <laughs> wanted to real quick give you an exciting update. We are completely doing a new refresh, a revamp of our Patreon page, and we are going to be creating so much new content, and it's going to be a great time for everyone, and we're going to tell you about the new tiers. Yes, we're content creators this year. We're getting it together. So some examples of things that you'll see in the new tiers, if you head over to Patreon, you can see these listed out. But a few things we're really, really excited about. One is that we're going to be posting exclusive episodes. So there will be a podcast feed specific to Patreon donors only at certain tiers. So you get to listen to extra content that no one else will ever hear. Mm -hmm. And another thing that we're doing, which (laughs) we're both like so jazzed about is we're going to do monthly live streams so that we can hang out with everyone. We did our very first one when we were in the Driscoll Hotel a few weeks ago together. And we were like, ooh, this is awesome. Let's do this monthly. So Monthly. Monthly. And to tease you about May, because that will be the very first one, all these changes are going to go into effect in May. So you'll have all of April to switch tiers and figure out what you want to do. But in May, Corinne and I are going to re-listen to episode one of our podcast and every, we're going to face our tr- true, true biggest fear, fear. True fear. And we're going to play a game with it. So we're going to create like a bingo or a drinking game to be determined. And everyone can play along. And there will be prizes. It will be fun. It, we're so excited. So head over to Patreon and switch your tier to the one that you'd like to be if you're already a Patreon donor. Or join us. Join us. Let's have that be the beginning. I think that was just my 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 brain. Whoa, glitching clearly. My my brain. Uh, My my brain. (laughs) It was my brain just transitioning from our Patreon discussion into this. And yeah, we don't need a formal hello. We can do noises. I like it. This is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hi. And I'm Sabrina, and we, we're just business ladies lately. We're two little business ladies. We, Taking well, up okay. space, making our names for ourselves. I feel like you said this in a previous episode in the beginning of the year, where you were like, this is the year that we actually, well, I think we say it a lot, but like, this is the year that we truly get our shit together. World domination. World domination. Yeah. Yes. We, you probably heard this in the Encounters 134, but we are doing a crossover with Ladies and Tangents, the podcast with mm-hmm. Jerry and Sierra, who we are obsessed with, have a group chat with now, and it, it's the best. Our forever we, friends. Forever friends. We might crash their, well, they invited us to crash their lake house. and A, vac- a vacation. A vacation. <laughs> And I told them we're we, like vampires. We genuinely looked up flights and then we're like, yeah. wait, 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 we shouldn't be doing this. We well, shouldn't truly cross they, other people's family vacations. Right. But they've invited us, which therefore means we're invited forever. So we're yeah. in. But we did Basically, a crossover. we had so much fun with them oh. is what we're trying to say. It was a blast. So if you want to mark it on your calendar on Tuesday, April 5th, part one of the crossover is going to come out on Ladies and Tangents feed 
which you can listen to anywhere that there are podcasts like Spotify, Apple, wherever. And we play, we get really deep. We open up a lot and talk about. I feel like I learned new things about you, Sabrina. I learned new things about you too. Yeah. It got emotional. There were maybe some tears. Yeah. Lots of laughs. It was really fun. It's a different side of us that you guys get Mm -hmm. to see. Yeah. So if you guys want to check that out, head over there on Tuesday, April 5th. And then part two will be coming out on our feed on Sunday, April 10th. And Jerry and Sierra both have kids and they bring their creepy kid stories because they and a whole lot of other oh they have a lot of yeah. paranormal experiences in general those girls are haunted haunted <laughs> very 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 so we talk ghosts we talk creepy kids we bring in listener stories they bring in listener stories it was and is so much fun and we can't wait for you guys to hear it yes, yes! i'm so excited <laughs> i can't contain it can't contain it you can't contain me anymore whoa You've been unleashed. I have. Let loose. Letting loose. Well, we are letting loose with some ghost stories because this is what we do. Two girls, one ghost. Yeah. I'm currently still in a hotel recording from a hotel. And so far, no no hauntings here, which is good. I'm like no. relatively sleeping okay. But well, you had a, an, an almost tornado. So that. Okay. Actually, here, I need to talk about this because I need to decompress. <laughs> Please. I survived Here a tornado, basically. Yes. So I've <laughs> never lived anywhere that's had tornado warnings. Like there's been there's been tornadoes in the sky in Vermont before that like if they touch down, it's for half a second and it does literally nothing. Right. So this is my first time actually being truly in like tornado country and having tornadoes come by. So we were in Austin, Texas for the weekend. I had another obligation the following weekend in Austin for a bachelorette. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay there. I'm not going to fly back and forth. And of course, the first day you leave me, Sabrina, there's a massive storm coming through and everybody's like, be on alert for tornadoes. Okay. Everyone as in like the news and your, your, um, weather map no one around you is saying that no but okay so then i was like am i overreacting because there's a tornado watch which means like the conditions are right for a tornado to be here yeah like be on alert so it started at 3 p.m so i was like oh i'm gonna work remotely from the lobby so that i can be as close to the basement as possible you know not be 20 floors above in a hotel i can't die Corinne told me that she was scouting out the hotel for where she would go, and you found the basement on your own. Like you, yeah, it's seven. You're the person who's the, opening doors, and tr- I yeah. will save everyone. Yeah, it was going to be me because in the morning at seven a.m., knowing that the weather was coming, I went to concierge and I said, "Where should I go?" Like, given that there is potential for a bad storm, impossible tornado, what's the protocol here? What do I do? And she, she was like, "I don't know." And I was like, "Okay, super helpful." <laughs> I will go wandering around the hotel myself. So I found the basement. I found the stairs. And then at like 4.30, I was like, oh, maybe I am overreacting. Like everybody's in their little heels from work, going to happy hour. Everyone's like, you know, dining and, and wandering around with their friends. No one seems to give a fuck. And so I was like, I'm overreacting. I'm going to head back up to my room. And maybe a minute before I actually was planning to pack up my my work computer and head back up everybody's phones in the whole lobby and restaurant go beep, 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 alert. There's a freaking tornado and it's like, take shelter. And I'm like, ah! so, but that's, how but that's all in your mind. Yeah. I mean, it's take shelter, but no one's yelling that. 
Except for your mind. Well, the 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 app is. Yeah, but like it your, doesn't your out loud phone. yell "take shelter." It says no, take but shelter. it says it in all yeah. caps, which is screaming in text form. <laughs> so that's how I read it. But I'm very calm in situations like this, and so I like almost slowly packed up my bag. And then there were two workers that were kind of freaking out with each other, being like, "What do we do? Where do we go?" And I went up to them and I was like, "Hello." Where do I go? And they were like, ah, I don't know. And one of them like ran upstairs to the concierge, ran back down. They like didn't react. And then they did what everyone else was doing. They looked around and no one was like making an actual plan. So everyone just had this bystander effect and was like, well, I guess it's not that big of a deal. People started calling Ubers to go to the airport. There was literally a tornado like by the airport. You're not going to get to the airport. Yeah. Yeah. People were like, what bar do we go to next? And I was sweating i would be the what bar do we go to next no i did well okay and not so i can't speak that much about people's behaviors with tornadoes because i think it's it's the same way that i probably react to a snowstorm coming in new england Mm -hmm. i'm like i know how to deal with that no big deal i'm not overly concerned so i don't want to offend anyone here but i will say that it's made me less scared of tornadoes because Seeing those moments on the news where people are like in Walmart or like somewhere in a parking lot and the news is is capturing like people running inside and like running for their lives, I will say people do have a lot of notice. And so there's a lot of people that don't have the opportunity to get to a place to be safe. And I feel very, you know, sorry for those people. My heart goes out to the people that do lose their lives in that. But when you are in a city, you have a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are certain circumstances where there is no warning and it just happens. Right. And it depends on your home too. Yeah. Like not everybody has a basement. And you right. know, even if you are in shelter, like there's other things that can happen like fires and gas leaks and things that, that can occur. Yeah. So I, I'm the type of person when I was staying in New York for work and at like 3 a.m. the fire alarm went off, I was, so, I was just, I just got annoyed and put the pillow over my head. And sure enough, it was fine. It was nothing. I feel like I've right. stayed in enough hotels where that happens that I'm like, oh, it's not actually a real fire. But well, that's the thing. It's like these alarms are the boy who cried wolf. They happen so often. I know that you just start not reacting. But I feel like I should react. I'm scared of everything. So I should be more on edge about it. Yeah. I'm surprised that you didn't in a hotel. I was it was I was on set for 16 hours. I had to be up in like 2 hours. I had minimal sleep left. And so you were just like, you know what, if it's truly an emergency, I guess I'm just going to this is where this is how I go. And if I go, I go. And then I'll haunt all of you booches. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Well, anyway, natural disasters are freaking scary. <laughs> yeah, tell us how you react in in um these scenarios. What do you do? What's normal? What should we do? And yeah, also give us survival tips and tricks. Like, yeah, I clearly overreacted based on everybody else around me. Well, but, but like you said, it was so new for you. How are you? How else were you supposed to react? Like that is scary. My phone told me to take shelter, and I also signed up for the, the like Central Texas <laughs> alerts. And I na- I renamed the this is my fault. I renamed the phone number that it was going to be calling me from. Should there be an emergency, uh-huh. tornado run. So oh. it made my heart leap even more. <laughs> yeah, that's not doing yourself any favors. But at least, but I didn't want to second warning. guess a strange number calling me. You know, I yeah. wanted to know what it was for. Yeah. Anywho. You're safe. You've made it through. You survived a tornado. And you're here to tell the tale. Yes. The tornado was nowhere near me. So (laughs) (laughs) I personally am grateful for that. Yeah. Although other people didn't fare so well in terms of their property. So I'm 
it, it wasn't it wasn't all false alarm here so it's scary There's plenty of people who yeah. yeah were negatively affected by this so it's very sad too okay well with that really sad note we are going to transition into a scarier note because we're talking haunted mansions okay Eek. haunted mansions haunted mansions this actually got me so excited because i feel like now on social media, all I do is I follow DIY or interior design and home mm-hmm. accounts. So as I was looking up the mansions, I was like dreaming about my future home. And I wanted to ask you, Corinne, if you had to pick a type of mansion to live in, like gothic style, chateau style, uh, modern, whatever architectural style, what would you pick? God, that's so tough. That is really tough. I would... Ah. Okay, well, the like New England person in me wants to say this like old giant brick colonial. Mm. And I think actually that might be my final answer. Now oh. that I'm saying it, I'm like, mm, yeah, I think you're that sold. Is it. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I want. With like the vines creeping up the side <gasps> yeah, and all the overgrowth. Mm-hmm. Yes, beautiful. That's pretty. A lot of spiders. Although it's hard though. because I love a wraparound porch. So part of me is like, ooh, what if I got okay, this? Okay, well, that will be your second home. Yeah, like a nice big ass southern wraparound porch. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's options, you know, for when there we eventually win, win the lottery. When you have what a mansion. Okay, <laughs> I put a lot of thought into this uh, in my lifetime. I want like a gothic chateau style home that basically instills fear upon anyone who sees it and intimidate. So you want to be like the house at the end of the street. Yeah, I want people to like, be invited to my house for like on a stormy weekend and be afraid that it's going to turn into a, a, a murder mystery, like a real one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you have an apartment right now. And I think that's still the, the attitude our friends have when going over to, to your apartment. There's still All the like lights a, are off. What will happen? <laughs> <laughs> what Sabrina am I getting today? <laughs> that's amazing no that would be so beautiful i know it's scary (laughs) but but beautiful and it will have a secret library hidden behind uh there's just gonna be like a secret door oh behind the fireplace neighborhood where people like make baked goods and drop off baskets it's like oh i picked these oranges from my tree out back here you go and you just drop them on your neighbor's porch okay that'd be beautiful uh, does that exist anymore i don't know maybe well it all goes back to my desire to live on a commune so yeah. Maybe that's that's what I'm the, thinking. I don't know that – you might have to build a mansion and bring the commune to you because I don't know that many communes live on, live in mansions. Yeah. Okay. So is the secret library your must-have in a mansion? It's a must-have in any house, but yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm quickly learning that I think my must-have is a bunker. I, <laughs> I am Survivalist in planner. <laughs> So I've got my whole TikTok collection saved for like how to can some goods and, you know, herbal medicines and everything. I need a bunker. Okay. Can our houses be next to each other so that I have the secret library? I also – Nick and I have discussed that like our two like must-haves in our our dream scenario, mine is the secret library and Nick's is a theater that converts into like a karaoke stage. So (gasps) – oh. be so fun so you can come over to our house for the party it might be a murder mystery party but then we'll go to yours when end of days happen 
if we live near each other, I'm going to change my must-have to just like a dark cavernous tunnel that connects <gasps> both of our homes from oh underground. My gosh, that doubles as a bunker. That doubles as a bunker. It's a bunker on my end and on your end. You have to like climb up these ascending stairs and then you get this like really creaky, skinny spiral staircase. And then it's another entrance into the secret library. Whoa. Okay. Let's I'm sold. It. How do I make this happen? <laughs> Literally. And then we're going to be on Zillow Gone Wild. They're going to be like, who the fuck made this house? <laughs> no, people are going to be jealous. We These know people it. must have really liked each other. <laughs> yeah, we do. I'm not mad we about do. it. Okay, wait. Ugh. So what did you what did you pick? Okay. So this is actually, I feel like I'm going to have you look this place up at the end because this is a place that you that you would, I think, want to live in. So Can I not look are, at it now? Yeah, look up the Molly Brown house. Hopefully that doesn't ring any bells for some people. And if it does, then maybe people will be excited. But I wanted to lean into it. Le- okay. Lead into it for people that I was like, lean. Know. No. I my brain isn't working. Okay. I'm for looking the 1000. Oh God, I'm stuttering. Okay. So okay. eighteen eighty-nine. We're in Denver, Colorado. So easily accessible. It still stands today. You guys How do we do this again? Mine's in Denver, Colorado as well. What? That's weird. Why? That is so weird. The theme within the theme accidentally. How did we do that? I mean, of all the mansions in the world, we both picked Denver, Colorado. Yeah, that's extremely specific. It's not even just Colorado, it's Denver. (laughs) Are we being called? You picked the same one as me, right? No, mine is a completely different name. Okay. Well, we might be neighbors (laughs) after all. We might be. Okay, so in 1889, Denver, Colorado, an architect who was very famous, he built a mansion. It is a 7,000 square foot home, three stories, and it's super, super beautiful. If I could afford it, I would live in it. Sabrina, I feel like you would, based on the photos that you're probably looking at now, would would want to. It's very pretty. It's very pretty. So it's the stone building that mixes a lot of different types of stones um, and some Victorian detailing. And it just has this really lovely red accent color on the outside. And it literally looks like the color of, if you look up like red sand or red clay, it's that color. So it's just, it's really like natural, but super striking. And it has stained glass windows, ornamental wood panels. It's just so lavish. And it also had electric lights, a telephone, indoor plumbing with hot and cold running water when it was built, and forced heat and air. So I'm like, okay, perfect. I mean, I guess it was, it is a mansion. So the people were rich. And so they afforded what was new and fancy back in the day. Yeah. So there is this great porch on the outside too. And there's a second story deck. So really just all of it, it looks so beautiful, but it also looks very spooky, which might be because it was built by combining the style of classic Queen Anne, Richardsonian Romanesque, and refined neoclassical styles. So it's very like gothic, beauty, old Europe. It's intimidating. It's what I love. Super unique, super spooky, very intimidating. But also looking at the pictures of it, I was like, this is one of those homes. Most homes, I would argue, many homes don't, rain does nothing for them. But I think if it were raining and you were looking on the outside of this house, it would make it even more beautiful. That You're literally painting my picture of my right? dream home. Yes, this is it. So you, you want to live there. Yes. 
Okay. So honestly, there are a lot of impressive homes in this area right here. You're probably going to be talking about one that's right down the street. So what makes this particular mansion stand out? Well, it is because of who purchased it. And that was Margaret Brown and her husband, JJ. So Margaret and her husband, they were originally not very well off. Her husband's engineering contributions eventually made them rich. He worked in mining. But for a long time, they were just relatively poor. And actually, Margaret went on this like big, long speech later on in in life, basically saying like, I didn't want to marry. Is there what? I just Google mapped (laughs) the distance from the Molly Brown house to the mansion that I'm talking about. Guess how far they are. How far? 0.3 miles. (gasps) Sabrina! (laughs) This is it! This is a sign. They're truly, they're both in Capitol Hill in Denver, Colorado. And I could skip to your house without losing, losing all my They're literally two blocks away. Yours is off of 13th Street and mine's off on 11th Street or Ave, I guess. Well, I probably walked by yours because you know I dropped that little man on Google Earth and walked around. You definitely did. Oh my God. (laughs) That's amazing. I can't believe it. Sorry, wow. sorry to cut you off. That was How just too weird. Yeah, you didn't cut me off. I asked because I saw your face. Oh. <laughs> I was making a weird face. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe one day we'll live there. But back to Molly and JJ. So she said that in her earlier life, she was waiting to get married for a while. I think she like waited until she was like twenty eight or twenty nine or something to get married, which I think back then was like, wow, that girl's. Right. She's, what is she waiting for? Why isn't she getting married at 15? But at the time, she was like, (laughs) I need someone who's rich. I want a rich man. She was very outward, like, I need a rich man. I need nice things. I need someone to take care of my old sickly dad the way that I want him to be cared for. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't necessarily just like her being like, I love stuff. She had some reasoning. She knew what she she wanted. She did. And, you know, maybe she manifested it because JJ was not a rich man. He was just – he was, like, probably worse off than she was at the time. But she was like, ugh, I guess I'll be happier marrying the person that I truly love than marrying just someone for money. And so she decided to marry for love, and she married JJ. And then he was super smart, made a ton of money in engineering for a company that he worked for that was in mining. And they gave him, like, a ton of equity, and boom, they're now rich. They're the elite and so they move to Denver, Colorado, and they purchase this mansion. It had only been constructed a few years before, so it was relatively new. They were only the second people, the second family to move into this house. But they really loved to travel. Margaret and JJ were basically almost never home. And so they left their home a lot empty, but they didn't really want it to be empty. So sometimes they would like let friends and family stay there. At one point, they had it stand as the governor's mansion Uh that year when the actual governor's mansion was like under construction or something happened to it. And later in its in its life, they also turned it into a boarding school. So there was a lot going on. They didn't spend a ton, a ton of time there, but it was always filled with life regardless for the most part. So Margaret and her husband, they, after 23 years of marriage and many travels and a couple kids and, and whatnot, they decide to separate They still remain really good friends. They keep in touch. They care for each other a lot, but they just decided we're actually better as just friends instead of a married couple. So they split in 1909. Margaret gets that house. She she gets it in the divorce, and she also gets a pretty big uh, alimony. Yes, 
Yes. So I forget the exact conversion, but it was basically like in today's money getting like $25,000 a month. What? And so she, a she month. used – Yes. Yes. A month. And also wow. think about it. Like inflation nowadays, everything is so much more expensive. So it was even – it was even bigger of like – a sum of money back then to do certain things. Right. And she really liked to travel. So she still traveled. And she was also a really big philanthropist and socialite. So she she was on a bunch of boards. She loved helping people and she loved to travel. And so this was part of the reason that Margaret was in Europe in 1912. While visiting her daughter in Paris, Margaret got word that her eldest grandchild was seriously ill back in Denver. And so she does what a good, concerned, and well-off grandma would do. She books herself a ticket home on a large passenger boat. She arrives at the boat. It's this massive Olympic-class ocean liner, and she boards (gasps) as a first-class passenger alongside many of the other wealthy elite. She had just boarded the Titanic. I get Why do chills. I have a feeling that we've been talking about the Titanic a lot lately? Well, okay. So Eric on Patreon, he's a Patreon donor, and he had suggested this to cover this as a as a potential topic. And when I was looking it up, I was like, oh, it has a tie to the Titanic, which reminded me of last episode where you read the listener story of yeah. the little boy whose past life was spent as like a Titanic researcher enthusiast. Oh, my god! So I was like, perfect. Connecting these dots. Okay. So, Margaret, she boards the Titanic. A few days later, the Titanic hits an iceberg and it sinks. It kills more than 1,500 of the roughly 2,200 passengers and crew that were on board. Margaret springs into action. She's up there. She's assisting the crew. She's loading people into the lifeboat. She's running around, gathering people, getting lifeboats, grabbing oars, life jackets, piling people. She's so not concerned about herself which is the opposite of what a lot of people do when they're really scared. And especially a lot of people in her position, which was a rich first-class woman who were the people put on lifeboats first. So she's running around and helping everybody. Finally, the crew convinces her to get on one of the lifeboats. So she finds herself on lifeboat number six. And thinking ahead, she grabs one of the spare oars that's nearby so that she can help with the paddling. And despite what her and the rest of the people on the lifeboat had just witnessed and been through, Margaret in the lifeboat, as it's as it's being boated away, she is begging and pleading for the lifeboat to turn around, to go look mm. for more people to save. Oh. And the crewman in charge of this lifeboat, he's scared. He's like, I don't want to turn around. I don't know what's going to happen. What if we get pulled under by the suction of the, the massive boat, right. the massive cruise ship being like pulled under and so he's like it's dangerous we can't go back and even if it we don't sink from the suction what if people grab our lifeboat and we're overpowered and we're sunk and now the now no one's saved because the lifeboat is flooded and so sad so he's arguing back all of these you know really valid reasons why to not turn around but she yells at him and she says if you don't turn this around i'm gonna throw you overboard (gasps) so Go it's Margaret. Unknown. <laughs> I, know. I know. She knew what she wanted. It's unknown if they actually did venture back into the debris looking for survivors. If they did, they didn't find anyone who was still alive. But their lifeboat eventually is rescued by ship RMS Carpathia. And once on board, Margaret springs to work. This woman had just survived a sinking ship. And she immediately, her first thought is, let me 
figure out a way to help everybody else. So she gathers all of the first class survivors, makes a committee. It's like, want to be on my committee? Let's make sure that we can secure the basic necessities for second and third class survivors, get them everything they need and get them counseling. So she immediately is like, I'm fine. My mind is this sturdy, like mystery, strong survival thing. So now I'm going to figure out a way to make sure everybody else who survived this ordeal feels okay and has a little bit more support. She's a hero. Amazing. Adrenaline pumping, puts everyone before herself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How do do I make this a less traumatic experience for everybody? Yeah. So she's just a beautiful soul. And because of her actions, fellow passengers on lifeboat number six named her the unsinkable. This also led to her becoming one of the most famous survivors. And there was a series of well, there was a Hollywood movie made, and then they put it on to Broadway, and it's called The Unsinkable Molly Brown. Okay. I was like, that's why it all sounds familiar. Yes. So it's wow. interesting. I don't really know where the Molly thing came from. So her name is Margaret, and right. her nickname in life by her friends and family was Maggie. But somehow huh. in Hollywood, it, it transitioned to Molly. But Molly is Maggie is Margaret. So I'll just keep calling her Margaret for okay. sake of not confusing yeah. everybody. So one really interesting thing to know is that right before uh, she was in France visiting her daughter when she got word that her her grandchild was sick and then boarded the Titanic to come home to him, Margaret had been in Egypt in her travels, and she went to a fortune teller. And the fortune teller warned her to stay away from water. Stop it. Yes. And on that trip, she also bought an Egyptian sphinx, apparently. Which I don't really know how she got that off the Titanic. So I think that this article was wrong and that she bought it another time. But essentially from her trip to Egypt, she brought back a sphinx, which is now guarding the house in Denver, Colorado. You can see it from her literally going to Egypt and bringing it back with her hands, which I think is just so cool. Like it's not imported. Like, well, I mean, it is by her. But yeah, I think it's really cool that Margaret herself brought it back and placed it there. And it's still there in front of the Molly Brown house in Denver, Colorado. So Margaret continued her life as a philanthropist, a socialite and a traveler, despite all of the horrific events that she had just survived. And then eventually, 20 years later in 1932, she passed away in her home. And then her home in Denver was sold. So the mansion, like many mansions, they change hands and purposes a few times, but eventually it kind of just falls into this deteriorated state. And in the 1970s, the city was prepping to demolish it. But it was saved because this group of people were like, no, and these are just regular people in Denver, Colorado. This is right. just a group of people who have this love and passion of keeping historic places and maintaining them and and returning them to their glory. So these citizens were just like, no, you can't do that. And so they got together. They made a group called Historic Denver, and they saved the Molly Brown House. So it's now added to the National Register of Historic Places. And then this group, they found photos of the mansion from the 1910s and used those photos as reference to reconstruct the house to its former glory. So this is one of the things that I always wonder, because after Margaret passed away, like you would assume, and maybe it's wrong of me to assume, but in most cases, I feel like houses are passed down and inherited by family. So I'm curious why the family didn't want to keep it. 
Well, so I do believe that Margaret actually, around the time of the Great Depression, I think that that some money was significantly lost and she was she wasn't really using the house. So she was essentially forced or made the decision to convert it into a boarding school. So it was it was no longer a residential home. Yeah. Gotcha. And she had two kids, but one of her children died pretty early on. They think maybe it had to do with an illness. Two daughters. So only her oldest daughter had the potential of inheriting the home. Gotcha. And her husband, it's it's my dream to inherit a home. I would love to inherit a beautiful home. A beautiful old ass mansion. This is reminding me of Lock and Key. Lock and Key on on Netflix. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like the show was made for 13-year-olds, but I love it. It's so good. <laughs> We're 13 at heart still. Yes. Okay. So now it's it's restored to its former glory, and you can go. It's operating as a museum, and this mansion seemed to have lived a pretty good life, relatively. So you wouldn't think that it would be very haunted, right? But not all hauntings have to be scary. No, they don't. And this one isn't. I chose a nice, pleasant story. I love that. So museum workers and tour guides have said that there's plenty of activity. There's flickering lights. Light bulbs will literally be unscrewed. So they have to like walk around and make sure that all of the light bulbs are like tautly in place. Oh my gosh. And the furniture moves around. They see spirits roaming the hallways out of the corner of their eyes. There's a lot going on. But what we know for sure is that J.J. Brown, Margaret's husband, is one of the presences in the home. So the building is a no-smoking zone, but the smell of his pipes and cigars will occasionally waft through the air from time to time, which was like his guilty pleasure. So whenever they smell that, they know he's around and he's just having himself a little a little break, a little relaxing time to himself. Do you think like a hundred years from now, there'll be like the smell of vape, like green apple vape smell of a ghost? (laughs) We knew it was, we knew it was this ghost because of their habit of smoking vapes. Actually though, like why wouldn't, why wouldn't that be a thing? I think it would be. Should I just pick up smoking a vape just to have a, a scent when I'm on the other side? I think there are a lot of other signature things you can do to, to make your presence known. You don't have to pick up vaping. (laughs) Okay, well, you look like you want to. You look like you've been looking for an excuse. (laughs) Do you want me to tell you to? No, I want to know. I want to know what my thing is on the other side. You're you interact with all of the cats. You're the cat lady. Yeah, but I want to have a smell like a good smell, though. What about like the smell of a decaying dead body? Like, no. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what about like a decaying book? What if you just have the (gasps) old book smell, you know, like a freshly cracked book okay so i just need to start reading freshly cracked books more yeah no i want like the old i need a i need my library i need my library yeah and just keep one in your purse and every time you hug someone whip it out on the side and like give it a little jiggle so that the smell so walks they're up aware like, oh so they associate like, with me man sabrina she just always smells so musty we don't really know what's going on someone has to tell her something <laughs> oh like, no, i know <laughs> i'm aware i'm trying to set myself up for the afterlife it's purposeful. And I need you all to be on board. I don't know what my smell would be. Mm, roses. I, I guess, yeah, because I wear rose perfume. I guess I see. That's truly I subconsciously like, knew this about you. You've you've yeah. left your scent in my nose. I guess I have. That's <laughs> funny. We were together this weekend and I didn't even bring it. And yet you still knew my scent <laughs> from years smelled, ago. Smelled you. You still smelled me. Okay. Well, so JJ's in the house. He's smoking his cigars and his pipe. 
and he's not alone in the house either. Margaret is also in the home. Of course, she must be. She must be. So she's in her old room. Visitors and staff will report feeling really cold spots like she's been there. And her apparition also appears. Sometimes people, like guests who are walking through the museum, will see her in her like older, you know, 1920s, 1930s clothing, turning a corner in the house and entering a new so room. So cool. Yep. And then to complete their family, both of their kids are also there. Catherine oh. Ellen and Joanna. So Catherine Ellen is the one that I referenced earlier that had had died at a young age. Mm. So perhaps her spirit has always been in the home, even before Margaret and JJ's. I'm not really sure. But the window blinds in her room will raise and lower on their own. Oh. And then in her sister Joanna's room, things are a little bit more specific because it's literally Joanna. People see Joanna sitting in the window. <laughs> so, sitting in the window. Unmistakable. Yeah, I think she's just like wow. kind of sitting on, looking out. perched on the side, looking out, just observing. Yeah. I love that the family's together. That's anything and everything you ever want. Yeah. Yeah, it's so sweet. Especially because one of their children died when they were young. And then, you know, they're... Their other daughter was spent time in Europe, like she was going to school in Paris. And then obviously Margaret and JJ separated. So it was like, yeah, it's really nice that the four of them came back together in the afterlife and got to be together. There's also another female presence in the home. Apparently people think it's a totally different presence than Margaret. I'm not really sure how they know other than maybe just physical depiction of the woman. But She is said to be wearing a Victorian dress, and she spends a lot of her time sitting at the dining room table. And her energy, people are like, her energy is so electric. Like, the air is electric when she's in the room. And apparently, she also doesn't mind when people know she's there. A lot of people have reported Hmm. capturing pictures of her on film as they're like walking by snapping photos so i need to do i need i meant to look that up before but i didn't so now i'm gonna do it after and if there are some i'll post but multiple people have seen her and one of the things she likes to do aside from sitting at the table is like she'll just get up and start rearranging the chairs she's always shifting the chairs around the chairs have got to be in a certain placement around her table that she likes to spend time at yes i love that So it's unknown exactly who this woman is because apparently it's not Margaret, but there are quite a few other people in the home as well. So it makes sense because there were multiple businesses that ran out of this home and generally a lot of people spent time there outside of just Margaret and JJ. One of the spirits is a male servant and you will know that he's there Only because on the first floor, if you happen to glance in the mirror, you might (gasps) spot him hanging near the stairs, just generally in a grumpy mood. Like, he does not want to be there. He does not want to keep working. Oh, my gosh. That's sad. I hope he can move on. I know. I know. And it's it's not even like he's appearing right behind people in the mirror. Like, he's just hanging by the stairs, just like, ugh, when can I clock out? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) doesn't want to be there. Or maybe he just doesn't like when people are in – because it's a museum now, right? So, like, what if he doesn't – Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He doesn't enjoy when people are in the home. He prefers it when it's late at night and quiet and no one's there. That's a good point. That's possible. Yeah. So, just generally, I mean, there's at least six spirits there if we count the whole family, that other Victorian woman moving chairs, and then the servant boy who does not want to be there. So, there's plenty of activity happening within the walls of this home. And luckily for us, these ghosts mean no ill will. I love it. Fine. 
And I'm thinking, you know, perhaps Margaret and her family, they wanted to reunite in the home where they all once lived together before the illnesses, before the divorce, before the shipwrecks and the deaths. Or perhaps Margaret is hanging around, bringing her family along with her, looking for more good deeds to be done and to keep everyone healthy and happy and safe. Uh, I love that. So you can visit this house. It's the Molly Brown House Museum. You can enter it all year long and learn more about the home and the life of Margaret slash Molly Brown. Wow. I'm really curious. Okay, so I just read a book. Do you remember? I think you uh, – I told you to read it. How to Hang a Witch. Did you ever oh, read it? Oh, I did it? read it. Yes, yeah, I did. Okay, How to Hang a Witch by Adriana Mather. She also wrote another book, and it's kind of all about – it's called Haunting, in, Haunting the Deep. And it's the same character in How to Hang a Witch, but it's all about the Titanic. And they're like – The town of Salem in this book has a lot of connection to the Titanic. And there's like this evil spirit that's trying to trap all the Titanic spirits in a different place. Ooh. It wasn't as good as How to Hang a Witch, but it was just as enjoyable. Like, you know, like a quick read. I love the character. And if you haven't read How to Hang a Witch, there is a romance between a young girl and a ghost. And it was the I was rooting for it. (laughs) It was beautiful. You know, but it reminds me of that. Yeah, I agree. And in the conversation of books, what I realized recently was like, because we're in a book club with our friends, and I've been trying to also read books that just other people recommend anyway, like the popular ones. And what I'm finding is I think I only really like spooky books. (laughs) I kind of agree. Well, there are certain ones that I'm open to, like if like The Glass Castle or memoirs and autobiographies that read just like fiction. Yes. Yeah. But I'm on a – I'm on the same page. Like, Riley Sager is my girl. I just can devour all of her books. I just read The Paris Apartment. So good. Which I think you would really like. Ooh, okay. Home Before Dark. I think I added that one. Anytime okay. you post a book on your Instagram story, I immediately add it to my Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get better you about that. You influence me. You're an influencer. Uh, do I influence you? I'm you, you absolutely do. One thousand percent. If only so you knew how much you influenced me. If I texted you every time I did something because you did it. It'd be every day. That's really kind. Wow. Be like, not me reverse Google image searching your clothes on Instagram. (laughs) It might be easier for you to text me and ask where it's from. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) But I treat you like you're an influencer. Like, I don't know you. (laughs) Oh, gosh. You have me on speed dial. Consider favorites and close friends. Would you say best friends, whatever it is? The, like, favorites section of your phone. Oh, oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you're one of the few people that can bypass my phone if I put it on silent. Well, now they have that thing where you can notify anyway, so. Oh. I kind of just do it for fun, even if it's not important. <laughs> hmm. My phone's never on. Do not disturb. Except for when I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Which is rarely these days. Okay. Okay. Now we walk 0.3 miles down the road. <laughs> to 11th Ave. Where we stumble upon truly probably just as close as the Molly Brown house is to my dream home in terms of looks. (laughs) This is the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion in Denver, Colorado, which, (laughs) as you can tell, has more names than I do. The Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion was built in 1890 by Thomas B. Croke, a merchant and experimental plant breeder, which, Karen, when I read that, I was like, how do we... Get that job. Well, for you. Sign me up. 
Like breeding different species of plants is so cool. Yeah. He later served as a state senator and commissioned the construction of the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion and lived there only a short while, which means like six months. That's it. That's the only time he spent in this beautiful mansion that he built. And then he sold the property to Thomas M. Patterson in 1892. I just don't understand. Why? I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. There's a reason. Dun, dun, dun. Because it's haunted. Patterson was also in politics. So Thomas Patterson's the second person to own it. He's also in politics and served as a territorial delegate to Congress in 1874. And then as a congressman from 1877 to 1879. And then a senator from 1901 to 1907. So it's just politics in this area. I mean, it's technically it's Capitol Hill. So the Colorado capitals there. Thomas's daughter, Margaret, married a man named Richard Campbell. And the couple lived in the mansion until 1916. So basically... The house just over time absorbed the various names, as it also absorbed many spirits over the years. Ooh, ominous. Ominous. And stunning. Nothing it's like beautiful. good old ghostly absorption. Nothing like it. <laughs> it's also so pretty, and sure, Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion is quite the mouthful, but when you see this building, you'll probably only be able to say, Co, and then your jaw will drop because it's so beautiful. <laughs> so Co! it's really short, if you think about it. Wait, say the full name again. Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion. Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion. Okay, I'll never remember that. Well, it is now also called the Patterson Inn. That's what it goes by now. So I've kind of been nicknaming it throughout my notes as CPC Mansion. Yeah, that's a good one. Or just like Patty's. <laughs> yeah, Patty's. Patty's Mansion. But CP- it's a chateau-esque. CPC. What? CPC. That's what you said? CPC. CPC Mansion. It's a chateau-esque style mansion built out of sandstone. So it kind of has that similar like reddish look that the Molly Brown Mansion has. Mm -hmm. And it was built based off of a 16th century French castle. So like it was totally built for me. The home contained a total of 10 bedrooms and 9 bathrooms when first completed. It had a stunning carriage house on the property. And just looking at it, you get the feeling that it's haunted. And sure enough, it is one of the most haunted places in Denver, And it's also settled into the haunted Capitol Hill neighborhood, as is the Molly Brown's house. So, again, I can't get over the fact that we both pick houses in the same neighborhood. And this neighborhood is known to be haunted. It makes sense. Okay, I'm looking at pictures of this online, and the inside of it looks a lot like the inside of of the one that I covered. But your mansion is way bigger than mine. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is pretty big. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. You live in large. Plenty of room for library in there. Yeah. Of course, there is a library in there. It's actually now a guest room. Oh, you can stay there. I could stay there. It's not a secret door, though. Oh, yeah, that's true. Unless I super glue the regular door and have to make a secret door to escape. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it was constructed in the Capitol Hill neighborhood, like I said, near to the Colorado State House. And at the time, the neighborhood was dubbed Millionaire's Row because, as it's stated, only really millionaires could afford to live there. So Thomas Croak builds this castle for his family. But... And this is to answer your question, Corinne, why did he only live there for six months? During the construction of the mansion, his wife died. Oh. And then he and his family move into the home, into the Croke mansion. But soon after, Thomas's mother dies. So Thomas becomes convinced that the house was cursed. So within six months, he sells it and he moves out. Enter Thomas Patterson, who on top of beginning his political career was a known journalist and ran the Rocky Mountain News. Patterson was searching for a house that symbolized his success, which nothing really says 
look at my success like a chateau-styled mansion. (laughs) So the Patterson family moves into the mansion, now calling it the Croak Patterson Mansion, adding their last name to it. I actually really admire the fact that they kept the Croak to it. And maybe they didn't. Maybe now history has added all the names to it. But I like to imagine that the Pattersons were like, we will honor those who came before us. Right. Yeah, that is a sweet thing. And it makes the likelihood of the previous owners haunting you less likely, I think. Right. Or just more respect generally in the energy in the home. Yeah, yeah. So then Patterson's daughter marries Richard Campbell, which is – and they inherited the house, which is why they were like, what's one more hyphenated name, which is exactly what I tried to tell Nick when we got married. Because (laughs) why not become Deanna Rogazuli? You are – you already have two middle names and two last <laughs> names. You wanted to add a third? <laughs> what's one more? You'd what be like Alexa more? Vega and Spy Kids. Uh, God, what's her name? What's her actual name? But like, remember how she has to say her full name as the password in the oh, submarine yeah. or like Secret Cave? And yeah. Yeah. That's what long. I feel like. You You were so close. I just saw Oscar Isaac's SNL and he was saying that he was saying his full name. And he's like, Hollywood told me that I could only have two of them. And they picked the the whitest sounding names, Oscar Isaac. Oh, Yeah. So <laughs> in my heart, he I'm, do it. in my heart, I'm Deanna Rogozuli. Anyway, the mansion becomes Croak Patterson Campbell Mansion, aka CPC Mansion. It was eventually sold and briefly used as a radio station, and then it was turned into an apartment building, and then kind of similar to the Molly Brown house, it was almost going to be torn down, and then a group came in and were like, no, 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 do you not see the beauty before your eyes? Are you blind? <laughs> This is a historic landmark, and it became as such, but it remained vacant and closed to the public for many years, which added to its mystery until it became a hotel, which it stands as today, called the Patterson Inn. It's a bed and breakfast. It looks incredible and beautiful, and I would, I mean, after staying at the Driscoll, I'm like, let's let's go. Let's go to all the haunted hotels. Yeah. We have to do our haunted road trip. We talk about it all the time, and we can hit up right now, not right now, but like in- in present day, we can hit up two haunted go. places within one block, basically, in Denver. Right. If we can do it in one episode, we can also do it in one block. Exactly. Well, not always. That doesn't always make sense for everything. No, but that in, only, in that this only case applies today, to this. it does. Yes. 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 Secret tunnel. What if there is one? There is a Capitol building. There probably is a secret tunnel somewhere. So like I said, it was turned into a hotel. But like throughout the years when it was transitioned to a radio station, it was apartment building, it was offices at some point. There's just been a good amount of construction done on the interior of the building. But they've also done a really good job of trying to maintain a lot of the original. Like, for example, there is this wooden post within the house that has this dark round circle on it. And it is left over from the years that Thomas Patterson lived there, the second owner of the home. And he would stub out his nightly cigars on that wooden post. So there's just like a mark from his cigars. Wow. And that is still there that's, today. That's just so cool that they kept that, you know? I know. Like those those certain moments that are that remind you that someone was there. Just like this repeated action too that makes you feel like that person was truly a person. Like it's it's one thing to say, like, oh, someone lived in this house or someone lived in this mansion, but to have physical evidence of like their day-to-day life, I think it's so beautiful. I agree. I agree. I love that. Like I like to think. So the townhouse that I was born in, my grandma now lives in. And there were a bunch of tenants between us. But there's like the wallpaper that was in my nursery is still up. 
And so there's just like those things where I'm like, oh, how cool that there's remnants of of us still in this home. Yeah, that's so sweet. Yeah. Okay. But with construction in a old haunted place comes some construction difficulties, as we've talked a lot on the podcast. So basically, as the construction was happening in the Campbell Mansion, sorry, I have to say the full name, the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion, a lot of paranormal activity was stirred up. Construction workers would report missing equipment or coming into work in the mornings to find that all of the work that they had completed the day prior was undone. All of it. That's devastating. Yes. <laughs> I would be so frustrated. Yeah. And think about people who, you know, the, the contractors who are trying to get a job done. They're like, we have to add weeks more onto this like whole thing because the spirits are making it impossible. Yeah. I mean, at least they're getting paid. But yeah, man. that's true. So it got so bad that they were convinced that people were breaking in overnight. So they got guard dogs. And as a trigger warning, if no one, if you don't want to hear about animal death, you can fast forward. It is pretty atrocious and sad. Oh, I wish I could fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> la 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 la. Na, 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 na. Okay, so they got guard dogs, but. As we already know and assumed, the mischievous activity was not the act of human hands, but of something spiritual. And one morning, the workers came in to find both guard dogs dead in front of the house, the glass from the windows blown out and spread around them, as if they had been thrown from inside (gasps) the house to the outside through the glass. Oh my god, no! Oh! I know. Oh, this is awful. I know, these poor babies. I know. It's very sad. It is. It's so sad. It's so sad and to it, think of how scared they were. I know. And it's so interesting because it's like, aside from this and maybe a few other encounters in the house, there's no, it, there's nothing to really state that there's something negative in the home. So I, I don't really mm. understand it. Like, I, I don't – but there is but there is one encounter, which we'll get to in a little bit, that makes no sense. And I'm so curious what you think about it because I can't wrap my mind around it. Okay. okay. So everyone working on this house – or the mansion, is just terrified and spooked. But it wasn't the first time something paranormal had taken place in the house. And as a disclaimer, there are just so many books and articles written about the paranormal activity that have taken place in the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion over the years. But a lot of it is speculative and not really first-person narratives, but still fascinating nonetheless. And there are so many people who have haunting stories from their time in the mansion that they've never shared, and they just keep to themselves. So the big question, or I guess many questions, that people ask is, was Thomas Croke right? Is the house cursed? Or is it built on spiritually active land? Or do the previous owners haunt it? There's just so much that is uncertain and we don't know. So I pulled a bunch of stories that I found online, pulled from books about the mansion, shows about the mansion, and we have to go all the way back to Thomas Croke. As I mentioned, both his wife and mother died within a short time period of one another, all in the time that Thomas was building or living in the mansion. It is said that Thomas had this constant feeling of unease in the home and that he would see a figure moving through his peripherals. I don't know the timing of this, if this happened after his mother died or if it was after his wife had died, before his mother had died. It's hard to tell. He also was grieving and in this really dark place. So who knows? Maybe his wife followed him to this house because she was like, you built this for us and I never really got to live in it. And so she she came with him. I don't know. Anyway, he moved out, flooded the home pretty soon after, and then the Pattersons moved in. And although there aren't any written stories that I could find about the family experiencing anything while they lived there, their spirits are said to be there now. Anne Alexander Leggett wrote the book called A Haunted History of Denver's 
Croke Patterson Mansion. And there are a couple, as in like 100, but I I chose like 10. Very interesting (laughs) stories worth sharing. Okay, so apparently the carriage house, which is on the property, but like kind of behind the house, is said to be haunted and has a very different energy than the main house. It's said that there's a spirit of an Irish caretaker who worked with the Croke and Patterson families. She is said to be very territorial and dislikes when people enter her space. There's been an EVP of her caught saying, what are you doing here? Like very dismissive of someone in her space. But then in the same like session that whoever was communicating with this spirit she apparently like warmed up and she's just one of those spirits or people who you kind of have to earn their trust because once mm. you do, she's like, I will protect you through and through. And apparently she told whoever they were having this conversation with that if they ever are afraid in the main house that they can come out to the carriage house and she'll take care of them. Oh, okay. Well, I understand her hesitancy. Like she, this is her home. She has to, right. she can just open arms, open heart, let everybody in. Like those other people are strangers to her. She's got to figure out if they're good and if they're worth her energy, truly. Yes. Yes. Okay. This story is horrifying, but not because of the ghosts in it, <laughs> but because it involves a woman who is pregnant with triplets. And the idea and thought of having triplets is horrifying. okay so as the story goes that it's like the 90s and there's this family they're the last family single family to ever live in the croak patterson campbell mansion she the woman is pregnant with triplets and she's like laying in bed one morning super uncomfortable like trying to rest she's just like in the late stages of her pregnancy she feels like uh, she just needs to lay down there's there's not much (laughs) else she can do But she tries to roll over and cannot because her stomach, filled with three children, is too large. So she's, like, trying to roll over and can't. And all of a sudden, a woman appears and offers her her hands. This woman accepts the spirit's hands because, like, what else is she going to do? And the spirit helps her out of bed. Can she also be this woman's night nurse when she needs? Right? (laughs) Wow. So the woman naturally, yeah, the woman like we are, are, is like grateful and so moved by the spirit, less scared. It's like, oh my gosh, thank you. I really needed that help. So she thanks the spirit and the spirit smiles and says, my name is Kate and then disappears. Oh, Kate. Thomas Patterson's wife, her name was Kate Patterson or Catherine Patterson. So it's believed that this is Kate Catherine Patterson. And she's haunting the home, but in a very positive way and being helpful. Oh, that's so sweet. Okay, now this is an experience that I was talking about that doesn't make sense. And it happens kind of twice. So later, once this woman has her triplets and they're living in the house, the family decides to have a friend and a priest come over just to bless the house. Probably like, you know, you bringing in new life. How do you just start anew and fresh? So the priest walks in and begins his blessing when all of a sudden the plaster on the fireplace and like the entryway just starts peeling off in like a really weird way. And all of a sudden a huge gust of wind comes charging out of the fireplace towards them. Wait, the plaster is peeling as wind is coming out of... What? And the people who who all experienced it said that the gust of wind seemed like a dark vortex blowing towards them interesting and then to back this up because this also happens again later or i guess kind of earlier 
This happened another time where uh, the landlord was renting out a bunch of the spaces, the rooms in the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion and gets a call on like a Sunday afternoon or morning, I guess, and from her tenant. And it, the tenants are like, you need to come over here right now. They're on the bottom floor, which I believe is probably the same place where this entryway fireplace is. And the landlord walks in and finds every piece of furniture, everything in the apartment turned upside down. Oh, and oh then <laughs> as the landlord walks in, a massive gust of wind blows through the fireplace, knocking over the 75 pound like brass fire holder in the fireplace. What the hell? What triggered this? So that's what I don't know. Like that seemed really negative. And also if right. you're thinking of like a gust of wind, it kind of, if that's what, like, if you think of how the dogs died, like, could you imagine uh-huh. a gust of wind blowing the dogs out the window like that? Oh, yeah. You're making sense. Yeah. Connecting these pieces together. But what are they? I don't know. I don't know. I wonder, I've never heard of anything like it. Because it's so aggressive. Yeah. All and it's always once. coming from the fireplace. It, okay. What if this is some weird, like, timed haunting where every year or, like, every month or, like, whenever the planets align in a certain way, it triggers this one spirit that just, like, repeats this motion over and over again. And there's no real control over it. It's just sometimes people or dogs are unlucky to be in the path. Yeah, I don't know. It seems so strange. Yeah. Ooh, Man, everything was so lovely leading up to this. I know. <laughs> what the hell? But those are the only, I guess, three experiences of like negative or just like bizarre mm-hmm. hauntings. Um, there are a couple of other hauntings like the same family that had the triplets. They would witness drawers opening and closing on their own even if the drawers were locked. And then they would like go up to check the drawer after seeing it open and close and it was locked again just as it had been before. Wow. The mansion was at a brief period of time used as office spaces, and it was really hard to keep tenants because apparently in the middle of the night, like typewriters would type things. So people would come into the office in the morning and find like words and like messages written. I don't know if it was like full out sentences, but it was scary enough for people to like make note of it. Wow. Ooh, that's so awesome. I want them (laughs) to keep the typewriter set up. And like yeah. encourage the spirits to to type on it because write, what message? Write a book maybe from they just need the grave. To, right. Perhaps they just needed practice too. You know, like yeah, it, get it takes them getting it. used to. They're building up their energy. They're they're yeah. they're practicing. So don't take it away from them. <laughs> they might be close to a sentence. I don't think they were taken away from them. I think the people just left because they were like, I can't handle this. Because they also yeah, would hear the sounds of a uh, of babies crying. And then they would hear the sounds of parties taking place. And even though there were no babies or parties happening. Right, right. One tenant. Unsettling. Yeah. One tenant remarked that she didn't feel physically unsafe, but she feared for her soul while working there. Oh, well, that seems contradictory. Yeah. I don't know. How do you fear for your soul while also not being scared of working there? Maybe it's like you don't physically feel like someone's going to harm you, but like you have this like gut feeling that you're not safe. I don't know. That you're being watched or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's something there's a chance something might happen to you or you'll you'll be followed or something. Yeah. Hmm. When it was an apartment in like the 80s, the tenants kept hearing the sound of a baby crying. And finally, 
they brought in a medium to do a seance and the medium kept being shown images of the basement and seeing a weeping mother over a dead baby. So naturally they go down into the basement and find behind an electrical panel, they find like a brick that's sticking out. And I couldn't find like a clear answer. There were a bunch of different versions of this story. So one version of the story is that they pulled out the loose brick and found ashes, which they believe belonged to a baby. But another story told of them discovering like sea salt and sand that you would never be able to find in Colorado. So I don't necessarily know what that means. And there's no verified record of a child dying in the home. But to this day, people hear the sounds of babies crying. They and multiple mediums get the feeling of a woman crying over a dead child in the basement. So it's hard to know for sure. Another common. So do you think that that woman is the one who was helping the pregnant woman out of bed? The one oh, who lost maybe. her own child. Well, we—I don't. I didn't find any record of her finding or losing her own child. Kate Patterson. Oh, oh, hmm. Yeah, I, I guess. Know. I guess we know the other woman's name because she said, "I'm Kate." So yeah, yeah. So there's no record of it, but I mean, who knows? It could even just be like a lost. Their child died before they did, kind of thing, you know. So it's like right the spirit envisioning them as a baby. Yeah. Hmm. Another common haunting at the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion is that a lot of people will have trouble walking up the stairs to the third floor. It is reported that halfway up the stairs, people will start to feel as if they can't breathe, like all of the oxygen is gone. As it turns out, and is proven by a death certificate, a Dr. Sudan and his wife lived in the house around 1960, and Mrs. Sudan had tragically died by suicide, and again, The details are a bit graphic, so if anyone wants to fast forward a bit, please hit 15 seconds forward twice or three times. So according to the death certificate, Mrs. Sudan mixed rat poison and water, which basically creates the same concoction that was used in the gas chambers in the Holocaust. And she drank it. Oh, no. This combination made it impossible for her to breathe within three minutes of drinking it, and she suffocated to death. So it's believed that the people who are walking up the stairs experiencing this like suffocation and loss of oxygen are interacting with her spirit in some way. And she is often on the third floor. So maybe she's lingering on the staircase. And that's why people feel that haunting on the staircase. In total, there are believed to be 12 spirits in the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion. And in the Patterson Inn today, there are only nine guest rooms. So – the chances of you having a haunted room is very, very high. There's oh, God. <laughs> 1.2 ghosts to go in each room, basically. There's the Biltmore room, and that's where Kate Patterson's spirit is most seen. She often will turn the lights on and off in the middle of the night, especially if you're a newlywed couple. So I don't know why. Maybe she's trying to add ambiance or she's like, don't do the dirty in my room. I don't know. The Da Vinci Suite is the house's original library and is said to be the most haunted room at the inn. I couldn't find like specifics of what happens in that room, but it's the library. So where I will stay. So Yeah. So check yourself in. Pack your bags. You'll be there. (laughs) I'll be there. You'll have to call ahead and request that room specifically. Definitely. With that few rooms. Yeah. This is like a year in advance reservation, I feel like. (laughs) Also, in the entryway, there is a large mirror. This also reminds me so much of the Molly Brown house that reflects the ornate stairwell. And it is said that many people will like look into the mirror and see spirits passing behind them. But when they turn, they're not there. It's just only really the reflection, which is so interesting. Like, why does that happen? I don't know. At least, here's the thing. At least it's in a hotel 
And so most people who witness it probably aren't overly familiar with the layout of the hotel. Yeah. So it probably takes them a minute to register that there's actually no one behind them. Right. I will say maybe. when I saw spirits twice behind me in the mirror in my family's kitchen, I knew there was nowhere for people to walk behind yeah. me. So I peed myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't blame you. Anyway, this is the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion, a.k.a. the Patterson Inn. It's located at 420 East 11th Ave in Denver, Colorado. And you can stay there yourself and you can be treated to a delicious breakfast because it's a and b They take your – when you when you um, book a room, it's like put all your allergy or like food requests and they cater the breakfast specifically to you, which I just – I love. Apparently, Aww. the owner, Chris – Chiari was trying to get a license to be the very first hotel in the U.S. licensed for cannabis consumption. So I don't know where they are with that, but that's pretty cool. And if you don't any, don't experience any hauntings at the inn, the Capitol Hill, the neighborhood, is said to be one of the most haunted in Denver. So there are ghosts just beyond the doorway. And if you don't want to stay, Portals to Hell, which is the Travel Channel show, did an episode all about the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion on season two, episode seven. Well, I think on Two Girls, One Ghost, we should just go to Denver, Colorado. We're in. And stay in a different hotel, but go visit these ones. <laughs> yeah. No, I would stay at the Croke Patterson as long as the fireplace is not right, right. there for us. Well, but, but how do you know? Like, we can't guarantee that. Well, we'll stay in the Biltmer room where, where Kate is because she's good. Okay. Yeah, we'll stay with Kate. Yeah. I would much rather. I don't know if I would be scared seeing Kate now hearing the stories. It sounds like she's just, like, very lovely and warm. Yeah. So probably wouldn't be too spooked if I opened my eyes in the middle of the night and she was there. No reason to fear Startled, her. but not spooked. Yeah. All right. I have an email from Mackie. Hello from the past, ladies. First and foremost, obviously a big fan. Love you. Love your show. Love ghosts. I just found y'all recently and I've been catching up whenever I can. Usually when my 19-month-old son and I go for a walk, gotta start him early. <laughs> you recently, well, recently for me and ages ago for y'all, did an episode featuring the road that I live off of, Highway 281 in Johnson City, Texas. Ooh. And it prompted me to finally write in. But since I'm still in 2019 podcast-wise, I have to ask, are Corinne and Zach Bagans together yet? Is Sabrina <laughs> podcasting from Mars? Does Leia have a dog counterpart in either household yet? These are important things I need spoilers <laughs> for since I'm determined to listen in order until I catch up. But time out. I'm a few more episodes in now since I started writing this email. I love it. It's like a few sentences at a yeah. time. And now I have to change one of my earlier questions too. Are Corinne and Bigfoot together yet? Okay. Time in. You're not here to chit chat. You're here for the spooks. So I'll get to it. I was an army brat. So I grew up all over in a ton of different houses from nightmares about the basement to seeing a man in the hallway of one of the houses to strange noises in another and seeing a shadow man in a doorway of another and finding out the next day that the front door was open. So was it a shadow man or a creepy intruder? Who's to say? We've experienced a whole lot of different energies. But did that stop us from always doing ghost tours or seeing psychics or visiting creepy places everywhere we lived? Nope. Needless to say, we fit in with the two girls on ghost crowd. <laughs> in fact, I have an experience that is eerily close to a listener experience that y'all already read. Honestly, I had to rewind and listen again to make sure we didn't vacation at the same place. Ooh. But I won't go... Is it? I love when all of these things connect together. Yes. We're not alone. She said, but I won't go into that one because who wants to hear practically the same story all over again? But we do. <laughs> <laughs> 
The story I'll tell is when my sister got possessed outside of the LaLaurie mansion in New Orleans. <gasps> Whenever ah! we moved, <laughs> we've been there yeah, outside of it. Whenever we moved, we always tried to make a trip more fun by sightseeing on the way. This move, my dad and brother had gone ahead and my mom, my sister, and I were taking the scenic route. We stopped in New Orleans and took a ghost slash cemetery tour in the city. This was in 2002 or 2003, I want to say. It was summer, aka super hot, and it seemed like everybody there smoked. Our tour guide would light up in between stops, and it felt like we were constantly just in this cloud of cigarette smoke. And my sister, Abby, is sensitive to smoke. I don't know if you guys have seen the Julia Roberts slash Catherine Zeta-Jones movie, America Sweethearts, but I always make fun of her and say, Kiki, Kikins, is someone smoking within a six-mile radius of where I'm standing? So Abby's already not feeling great by the time that we reached LaLaurie Mansion. The guide is telling us about how everyone thought they were this amazing society family when one day a fire started and that's when things got hinky, both in the story of the LaLauries and for my sister. I just happened to glance over at her, and she is wide-eyed, blank stare, face white as a sheet. My mom notices too and takes her by the shoulders and asks if she's all right. No response. My mom hugs her and tells her to sit down. Nothing. By now, everybody in the group is paying attention, and the group across the street has also stopped talking to stare. My sister is stiff as a board, so my mom, in a genius move, wraps a leg around her and knocks her knees out of their locked position so that my sister goes down, my mom's still holding her, so that she didn't crash land or anything, just limply sat down. By the time she hits the ground, she comes back to the land of the living, and the first thing she does, she makes sure her shirt is straight and not riding up anywhere, <laughs> because that's what's important. Hey. Not the fact that a spirit of an evil slave owner had just knocked her out. <laughs> that's harder to come to terms with. Yes. <laughs> she had to focus on what was physically present at the time. The group is silent and staring, and the tour across the street is bringing her a water bottle. Needless to say, it's a lot of attention that she was not interested in, so she tries to stand up and pretend like it was all nothing, but no one would let her stand up. My mom asked her what happened, and she said that the smell of smoke was overwhelming. But the thing is, is that at that moment, no one was smoking. The guide had put out his cigarette once we got to the mansion, and none of the other tourists were smoking. No one around us was smoking. She just happened to be overwhelmed by the smell of smoke right when they started telling the story about the fire in the house. So my mom and I are convinced that she was possessed. Okay, maybe not possessed, but overtaken by something sinister in the moment. She claims that it was all just the cigarette smoke throughout the tour that made her black out. But since I'm her big sister and I was fully conscious the whole time, I reserve the right to tell the story with the possession slant to it. <laughs> That's I listened- how I feel about my sister's possession. <laughs> <laughs> After I listened to the episode where Sabrina talked about the mansion, I excitedly texted my sister to say that I was right because other people feel sick and faint, etc. outside of the mansion too. She was surprised and maybe agrees that it could have been something more. She could have written her own version of the story and sent it in herself, but she's a weirdy beardy who doesn't listen to podcasts. So again, my version is fact. <laughs> True. True. On a more lighthearted note, in one of our possibly haunted military quarters, my sister found a knife block that was always on the counter in a cabinet and texted all of us if we moved it. And we said no, but later in the day, my mom confessed. So now we all call events that actually weren't ghost knives. (laughs) (laughs) 
My best ghost knife moment happened on a drive from Oregon to Texas in 2010. My mom and I planned to stop in Marfa, Texas to see the Marfa lights and stay at the Hotel Paisano. Due to car trouble that morning, we got into Marfa super late, so we skipped going out to see the lights and went straight to bed in a double queen room. Turns out we were booked in the room Elizabeth Taylor stayed in while filming the movie Giant. We almost immediately pass out, but sometime in the middle of the night... I felt the end of the bed depress and immediately thought, this has to be Elizabeth Taylor's ghost. I mean, we are in her room. I was frozen for a second, but managed to turn around and peek out of the covers to see my mother standing at the end of the bed, trying to turn the ceiling fan on. Seriously? I asked her why she didn't just stand on her bed or grab a chair or nudge me to warn me that she would be standing on my bed. I thought she was Elizabeth Taylor's ghost. (laughs) Hmm. She then informed me that she was just really hot and sleepy and didn't really think about it. And also, Elizabeth Taylor was still alive. Whoops. Sorry, Liz. (laughs) From Mackie. Wow. I like like the uh, term ghost knives. Ghost knives. Ghost knives. (laughs) It's just a ghost. It's just ghost knives. It was just a ghost knife experience. Okay, but the La Lorie mansion, it's so interesting. As you were reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, I swear I've heard the story before. But then Mackie mentions like when I covered – La Lorie Mansion, I talked about how many people have had similar experiences. So right. it wasn't that I'd heard this story before. It's just that like I've heard or read enough about similar experiences that it feels similar. Right. The space overwhelms people. Yeah. And it's consistent that every once in a while groups and the amount like when we were in New Orleans, the amount of ghost tours and the amount of people just on them yes. or walking around these haunted streets, there's so many people. So I think the opportunity for a lot of people to to have these experiences is high because it's in a mm-hmm. it's in a space that is very accessible. Like anybody can go look at the mansion. Yeah. It is interesting though the timing of the tour guide saying about how the house caught a fire and there was so much smoke. And then right. Mackie's sister smells the smoke and is overwhelmed by it. Like whatever spirit was there came with the smelling of smoke. Right. Right. Yeah, because being overwhelmed by the smell of smoke, when there's no smoke around, yeah, it's it's different. It was like she was hit with the actual wall of the fire. Yeah. Dang. Well, I'm glad her mom just kicked her knees out and caught yeah. her, brought her down. <laughs> Getting like, into Molly Brown been, attitude. Right. But like also just in my mind thinking about like the number of tours and the number of people and just like generally the way that the people – often ignore each other in public it must have been really significant for their whole group to stop and for the group across the street yeah, to stop and to be all like, notice what is going on with this girl Her oh i would freak out i would hate that attention yeah well uh, yeah i guess you only had to deal with the after effects of the attention because right. when you're in the trance you're in the trance you're not consciously there Yeah, you're half possessed or whatever it is right oh yeah and if she actually did black out and wasn't fully possessed, I have blacked out a few times. I am a fainter. You fall. You don't just lock in place and balance yourself. It's like yeah. something took her over for a moment and like just kept her propped yeah. up in this stance. And to be that locked. Right. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think. There was one time that I got really, really faint. And when I came to, I then started to fall. Oh. Oh, interesting. But I think I had leaned onto something. So like I like caught myself. If I don't know. Oh. Well, that's lucky. I just hit the floor. Yeah, it happened at an amusement park. And then when I came to and I finally fell, people just walked past me. Oh, my God. That's because so I'm invisible. fucked up. 
My invisibility started earlier in life. This is not, I think it's a funny story, but I, I know that it's not because it's actually pretty sad, but like my, my brother, when he was younger and we were at Universal Studios, like the Hollywood walk or whatever, whatever that section is in LA, you know how they have like all of those stores that you can go in and one of them is like Brooks something or whatever. And they had these these like electrifier massage guns and my dad was like basically electrocuting himself with this gun and then like had my brother do it too it was like an an electric massage device what and anyone could do it because it was supposed to be safe. It was like the sample thing yeah yeah and my brother's like 16 at the time or whatever and we leave the store and we're like walking down the way and my brother wanders into the bathroom and into the women's bathroom because he was really confused and passed out right there in like the women's public bathroom oh no <laughs> yeah. yeah i know and we didn't know no one knew until a few minutes later when he came back out <laughs> told us oh that's so sad i know it is sad Poor oh guy. that was so sad yeah oh just that moment of waking up in the like women's bathroom too probably was so disorienting for him i know i know <laughs> and no one was there to save him we just, just left save him. him all right this is from our listener amber and it is called the pervy historical ghost Hello, Ghost Gals. A coworker recommended your podcast, and while I'm a fairly new listener, I've been binging it like crazy. This is an interesting story I think you'll like to hear. First off, I need to say that my wife is pretty spiritually open and has had paranormal encounters ever since she was a little girl. I, on the other hand, am fairly closed, thank God, and have only had two spooky, unexplained things happen to me. For our honeymoon, my wife and I went to Galena, Illinois. It is a quaint tourist town founded in 1826. Now, a town that old has a lot of history, and with a lot of history comes, you guessed it, lots of paranormal history. (laughs) As a fan of both, it was the perfect economically friendly place to spend our time as a pair of newlyweds. Knowing all of its ghostly background, the town cashed in on this and hosts multiple different kinds of haunted ghost tours. We went on the ghost and historical tours that were offered. One night in our hotel room, we were engaging in marital activities when I suddenly felt my wife freeze up and in an urgent hush, she told me to turn on a light. Instantly, I knew what was happening and also knew not to ask any questions or push for more information. Instead, I turned on a light and just held my wife until both of us eventually fell asleep. The next day, as we were driving, I said, what did you see last night? Obviously still a bit scared by the experience, my wife hesitantly told me that she had seen a man sitting in a chair, legs crossed, chin in hand, staring at us intensely. She then proceeded to describe him, his face, his hair, even his outfit. That evening, we went to a tour of a once mansion, now museum, that was built in 1876. As our tour guide pointed out a portrait of the mansion's namesake, I felt my wife's nails digging into my arm and she whispers to me that that was the man that she had seen in our room the night before. What? And to her credit, her description of him matched the portrait perfectly. From what we learned about him, he was not a stand-up guy and perving on two women on their honeymoon seemed right in his wheelhouse. If that was the case and it really was him, I'd like to kindly ask him to fuck off. We've been through enough and don't need him peeping in on us on our private moments on top of it. 
Hope you are entertained by the story, keeping spooky, and thanks for reading my creepy encounter, Amber. I mean, the fact that he stared intensely is so creepy. With chin, his hand in his chin. Right. So creepy. Creepy regardless if you're not expecting a spirit to be there. But they were not... They were not clothed. No. And they were enjoying each other. And he was being a creepy observer of an intimate moment. Such a creep. And was like blatantly like posted up. Like, yeah, let me watch this. That's so gross. It's so gross. I am glad that they were able to find like out who it was. Right. Like that's one of those things. It's terrifying and super unsettling and just gross, like we were saying. But to then like go to the mansion the next day and see a portrait of him and be like, Oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. the guy to put yeah. it all together and yeah, to know more about him. That they, right, that they did get, they did get it, re- not resolved, but like they, they, <laughs> they got the answer of like, who, who is this creeper? Who is this ghost? This pervy Dang. historical ghost. Nothing like a good old pervy historical ghost. No. But I'm glad we did not experience that when <laughs> we have stayed at haunted hotels. Although yeah. they're honestly from doing our research and from listening to all of these encounters sent in by from people like there are plenty of pervy ghosts out there. Plenty. There's And if you think about it, how many of the ghosts that you don't see but are present during intimate mm. moments? I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When I'm a ghost, that's gonna be one of the first things I'm curious about. Corinne. <laughs> You're totally going to be that ghost who sneaks up on people in the bathroom. But I'm – no, no, no. I just am going to – well, I don't know. We'll see what I do. <laughs> no you can't promises. tell everyone your secrets yet. I don't want to be a pervy ghost, but also I'm just so intrigued by the idea of wow, potentially – the look you just gave. <laughs> but I, uh, I'm not going to make my presence known. I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. I'm just going to peek and I'm going to be like, oh. Okay, I guess I can see this and then I'll dip out. No. <laughs> well, if you've had a ghost peek in on you doing something normal or anything in your life that you don't want a ghost being a part of, let us know. Or if you have a haunted mansion that you want to inherit, leave in your inheritance to Crin and I, please let us know. I was, I, yeah, I was just going to say, but leave it to us. <laughs> leave it please. to us. Please. We beg of you. <laughs> please email us your experiences, your stories to two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And, um, Leave us a review on iTunes. Rate and review us. Please give us um, – say nice Pretty things. Please. Yeah, and go check out our, our Patreon because we're so excited about all the new tiers and we're we're real content creators now. There's going to be exclusive episodes, video content, lives, dis- private Discord channels, so much to look at. So, so head on much. over there. We also have merch. We have social media. You can follow us on TikTok, Facebook. We have a Facebook group. We have Instagram. We have Twitter. Shout out to Marina Deguchi, who is our social media intern, who has been making our feeds look wonderful and aesthetically pleasing. And also shout out to Aiden Manning at Upfire Digital for editing our podcast. We're just, we love our team and are so grateful for everyone's involvement and help in making this podcast what it is, including you. Including you. And we will. See you on the other side.